Welcome to Campfire Coders. I'm your host, Jesse Leap. And I'm your host, Austin Cameron. Welcome again. Austin, uh, you got a bunch of new gear. Lights, laptop, I, I did. monitor. Tell, yeah. Talk to me. Yeah, I bit the bullet and it's almost like I could sense Apple was going to release a new MacBook Pro. <laughs> so I bought the old one a month early. Uh, I love it. It's great, actually. It you know what this this one yeah it's great. I got a new laptop, uh, and then I decided to buy an Elgato key light for when I totally find time to stream, uh, which is rare nowadays. But we're working on it. Yeah, it's it's good. Not that my my other laptop was like the original M one. You have mm-hmm. one of those, right? Yeah. Like the yeah. is it a thirteen or a sixteen or something? Yeah, the the first gen thirteen. Like they only had the thirteens for the first few months or six months. I can't remember. I got that one. Yeah, I don't. I'm I, you know, nothing against them, but I don't understand the sixteen inch people. I'm a thirteen inch. <laughs> I guess now I'm a yeah. fourteen inch guy, but it's like the same form factor, right? I I've been down both roads, and I when I have the, when I had the, whatever it was, 15 inch Intel MacBook, I'm like, I don't know how you could do 13. And then when I have the 13, I'm like, I don't know how you could do 15. I don't know. But oh. neither of, neither of them feel good when you're used to having like a massive desk setup, right? So. Well, <laughs> see, that's why I'm a 14 inch guy. Cause I have a 32 inch monitor to plug yeah, it yeah. into. So. There you go. Oh, I also got a new monitor. Yeah. Monitor. Uh, I've had this I'm a 32 inch 4K single monitor kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Have been for I've been down different, and also I want to I want to say that's why I like the smaller laptop. To your before I get into the monitor, mm-hmm. the smaller laptop I like because I have also been down both roads, and like my first Mac was I think a 17 inch PowerBook G4. Really dating nice. myself here. <coughs> how wait how thick was it? Was it like a good four inch, three, four this inches thick? One, this one reminds me of that Mac in the best ways. Like that computer was transformative for me. How thick was it though compared to this one? I wonder if I still have it. You know what I mean? Like those old, like I don't I don't actually remember how thick the old PowerBook stuff was, but like you, you remember those old like oh. compact laptops that were like good solid three inches thick? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, didn't Apple have like the what was it called? Something book that would like the colored ones? Is that what you're thinking of? Yeah, is that what it was? What no, or, oh, no, okay. it this was like an aluminum one. Okay. Um, so this would have been, I don't know what year it was, but I was in I think high school or middle school. It was like a hot rod of a computer at the time for sure. Mm. I got like the super upgraded one and it lasted me for a long time, like a decade probably. No, not quite. Not quite. When you're when you're in high school, that's that was pretty long time ago. That yeah, yeah it you're was getting old. pretty old. Yeah, yeah, I know. So I mean I'm dating myself by saying yeah. this computer. My first one was I think two thousand eight. My first Mac, sorry. Um I think yeah. what what OS did you have? My first one was I think Snow Leopard was just being released. Like I when I bought it, it might have been Leopard and then I upgraded to Snow Leopard like instantly. Uh, there's too many cats, Jesse. I can't too many remember. Cats. <laughs> yeah. What? yeah, I don't know. Tiger or something. Oh, hang on. I'm getting a, a phone call here. Okay. Um. Anyway, man, got some new stuff. Haven't done that in years. My current desktop, 
Wait, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> um, my current desktop that I had was like the Hackintosh thing. Don't tell mm. Tim Cook. We already talked about this. Um, no. <laughs> anyway, it, it was it was a computer that I built in 2015 originally. Tim Cook was a Campfire Coders listener, but until you said that, he's uh, he's gone now. Oh, sorry, Tim. Um, this episode sponsored by. <laughs> anyway, he he. Oh, he has no, he has a real he, yeah. He has a Austin bought a real Mac now. Yeah, bought a real Mac. I had the laptop, but this I bought to replace the desktop to be my only computer. So, um, yeah, we're. I'm happy with the decision. I could, I should, I could have probably done it with my other laptop, but this one in the best ways reminds me of the old Mac. Like I like how they went back to a slightly more square design Hmm. uh, with these, this 14 inch one. It's an M2 pro. It's kind of like the middle processor. I think I, and I think I upgraded the Ram and that was it Hmm. from there, but it's good. It's like the, it's like the M1, but I do like the keyboard feels a little different. Um, I don't know what it is. It, it's almost like they have like like maybe the rubber's newer on the switches, so it feels more tactile right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know if they switched the keyboard on these compared to the one that I had, but and then I can still use the old Hackintosh because my monitor that I bought has a KVM switch built in, which is awesome. Um, yeah. New stuff. Yeah. So, you're, and you're doing like the 4K thing, right? Where it's just, is that a, th- how big is that new one? Yeah. 32, 32 inch okay. 4K monitor. <clears throat> yeah. I'm intrigued by that because I have the 38 inch ultra wide. And mm. <clears throat> I know ultra, people are kind of like love or hate ultra wides. And I don't know. I, I don't think I would like a smaller ultra wide. I think part of it, uh, part of the 38 is having the real estate to have the amount of columns that I do, like seeing two columns of code and a browser and Spotsy's Ray or... Right. Yeah, I saw your setup where you have like Ray on the left side. It's pretty cool. So if I were to go too much smaller, I think that I would be missing out on that width. So same thing with... I'm really intrigued. I think my next monitor will be a 4K as well, but I I would fear losing out on that width. So I don't know if I would go bigger than 32 or not. But Yeah, so... Before I went to a 32-inch 4K monitor, which I made that... Before that, I, I, I was a dual monitor person. Then I went to a TV. 40-inch... It was a 40-inch like TV yeah. that um, essentially was the same resolution as this monitor. 38, right. 40 by, what is it, 21, 2160, I think. So it's just like... What I found is that I like the verticality yeah. a lot. So... But also, your monitor's huge. <laughs> so maybe well, you get what if yours like, was if yours was a forty and mine's a thirty eight ultra wide. Like we're probably yeah. What what's your I, I know a little different, but fair resolution. Uh, it's like I think it's thirty eight forty by fourteen forty or something. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I don't never tried an ultra wide, so I wouldn't know. Yeah, I, I think it would be cool to have a little more verticality. I, I think I would just miss going much smaller width-wise, especially with my old eyes. Like, I don't like having super small text or anything. 
but mm. I still want to be able to have like a certain, you know, I really like having two columns of code and a browser is really nice to all see on one screen, you know? Right. I and say- I know some, some people do the whole <clears throat> two monitor thing. And I just find that having the bezel in the middle just limits you, right? With, when you have like the, the single screen, you can really like customize the widths of different windows and play around with layouts and stuff. You can't really do that if you have two monitors. So I'm not uh, sure I could go back. To, I, I used to do two monitors, but I don't know if I could go back to it. Yeah, I, I will say I have been using the new laptop on this laptop stand that I already had. Oh, as a secondary, yeah. As a secondary yeah. and then using the, yeah. And it's good, man. Um, you know, I really like being able to have like airdrop never worked on the Hackintosh. A bunch of stuff never actually worked. The main this mm-hmm. main thing is like if I wanted to do an update, it was always like, oh, I better back everything up because I'm probably gonna have to redo the whole bootloader every time. And like <laughs> take it. Yeah. 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 I wouldn't wish that on anyone else unless they really love to tinker. And the main thing is I don't think that's gonna be viable anymore. Right. Like with Apple moving to their own silicon, like why not just use the stuff that they make at this point? Well, yeah. And that's one of the big draws, I think, these days is yeah. that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I, just the, the battery life. And I, I don't know how much you and I were talking about this off air too, but, um, you know, when you jump from like M1 to M2 to M3, 4, whatever they're on now, like it's, <laughs> um, yeah. you're, it's, it's kind of like going from one Intel to the next Intel to the next Intel. They're going to be better and better and better, but maybe like, you know, 5% better here, 10% better here. But that initial jump from Intel to M1 was insanity, right? That was like yes. suddenly yeah. paying, you know, people talk about paying big money for Apple. Well, suddenly it became really worth it again, you know, getting 20 hours of battery life and all of those videos of, uh, oh, you know, just people comparing to like a spec'd out Intel and saying, yeah, my baseline MacBook Air outperforms a video render test on a spec'd out Intel for four grand, stuff like that, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I gotta say the, I've always had Mac laptops since that PowerBook G4, the big 17 inch, which like, I'm not trying to live that 17 inch life. I took that thing everywhere. <laughs> and I lugged around a huge laptop for too many years to, but the, yeah, the, what you're talking about that jump is, so I had, that's the only reason that I was like, okay, this can replace my desktop and do it in style now. Yeah. I feel like we finally reached that, that point. So yeah, really, really happy with it. It's been fun getting to set that stuff up again. Um, just, I, I like to just do, I don't like to restore computers from a backup. I mm. like to just set them up. And of course I have the dot files repo. I try to keep that minimal so I can just kind of hand it at everything. I found out that the Zish plugin manager I was using is like deprecated and none of that stuff worked. So I had to okay. redo some of that. Was that where you're using antibody or something? I think it was antibody and now yeah. I'm using antidote. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it's actually sweet. It works way better now. And I made myself a readme for next time. If they're, you know, what, however many years this, you know, computer goes for. Yeah, let's talk about that for a sec. So I, I actually saw, I don't remember who was tweeting it this week, but someone was talking about that whole restoring a Mac versus, uh, you know, dot .files thing. And I, I've, the last like four or five years, I've really been into the dot .files 
thing. And I'm, last time I bought my Mac, I set it up, you know, I got it maybe 80, 90% of the way there in like, you know, 20 minutes with the dot files. But um, since, yeah. see, you, you massage your dot files and get it ready to install on your computer. But if you're only going to install fresh on your computer every three, four years, by the time you do it again, a bunch of stuff is out of date. But still, even if I have to, like, so I got it 80% of the, the way there in, let's say, 20 minutes, but then it took me another maybe three hours, four hours or something, half a day to kind of like flesh out some of the broken stuff that my, my dot files was lagging behind, like fix, fix up my dot files a bit, get everything kind of up to date again. Yeah. But I, would, I, I wouldn't trade that experience over having to do it all completely fresh every time, you know? looking up every single, you know, downloading all these DMGs and looking up all the docs for command line stuff. And I mean, obviously a lot of people will have their own, like, let's say ZSHRC, Zed, I said Zed, like a Canadian. Uh, I know, (laughs) Uh, I never call you out on that, but I hear it every time. Um, You know, a lot of people have their aliases, like maybe at, at the very minimum, their command line aliases stored. Yeah. Some, somewhere, right whether it's public dot files or not, but taking your dot files further. I don't know. It's, I, I really like that, that idea. And I, I don't, I'm, I agree with you. I don't know if I would want to restore from a Mac just cause it's nice to have, you know, every, you know, everything's fresh, you know, there's not going to be lingering stuff slowing you down. You know, your dot files are kind of crazy, man. Just got to say, like, I think yeah. that not in a bad way. I just, I can tell you've spent time in that sandbox. Uh, yeah. Well, I just and, get nerdy about it, right? So. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, that's what I mean. It's a, it's a good thing. Like, I can look at yours and I'm like, wow, he's got some wild stuff in did, here. Did you end up playing with Mac up yet? You were showing me that. No. No. So I think you were saying that you saw on Twitter or something, and it hit me while we were talking about this. It was Ian Landsman, I think. Oh, was it? About yeah. the, okay. like, you always set up fresh. He, Ian, I don't know if you just got a new laptop or not, but... Maybe we're doing the same thing, um, setting this up. But I saw in the comments of that tweet, Maca. And mm. pause for a second, friends. Future Austin here. I just wanted to tell everyone out there, beware of using MacUp if you have a newer Mac, Mac OS Ventura or Sonoma. It simlinks a bunch of stuff. And let me tell you, uh, the new Macs don't like that and I lost all of my settings and it was a whole thing and we will talk about it in the next episode but there's your warning from the future enjoy the rest of the episode thank you for those who don't know it's it allows you to back up preferences for other applications across your Mac like they they support a ton of apps whether it's Photoshop if you have custom settings in anything it'll copy all of your custom settings for like every app and I wonder how that works I'm gonna try does it well does it install let me ask you this um does it install the apps too or is it just like bringing over your preferences and plist settings and it's whatever only your that? preferences so it'll like yeah. back them up to Dropbox or whatever driver you okay so as that's, far as I understand I haven't used it yet yeah, that's I haven't used it, so I'm I don't really know what I'm talking about, but it seems really intriguing because it doesn't replace the dot files thing for people, but it adds to it. Like in my dot files now, I anything that I like if I know where the file is or if I know where my you know config is, whether it's like a YAML config or JSON config or ZSH config or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
but with there's you have apps where you have you know preferences in like let's say I don't know Table Plus or something. Maybe you've got preferences in there and you don't know where yep. it's stored. It's like in some plist something or other in your Mac library deep in your drive, and you have no idea where it is. App data so, somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Some Mac up seems to do that thing really well, right? And I'm assuming yeah. you could com- combine that with your dot files. So what it, it does, I, yeah, that's what I want to know. Like I'll probably still have a dot files repo that's separate because I just like the ergonomics of a simple Git repo for a lot of that stuff. But I know you do this in some form too, right? You sim link your like ZSharc or VimRC from mm-hmm. your dot files wherever you keep the code to edit yeah. to yeah. your home folder. So MacUp effectively, that's what it does. Okay. Is it puts yeah. all of your settings in, say, Dropbox instead, and then sim links those where the application expects them. I think that's how it works. Right. Which I, is brilliant I, if that's what they I, do. I would assume you could throw that in your dot files too, unless you're talking about like passwords and credentials and you have like a Mac, a private Mac up repo inside a dot Dropbox or something. Oh probably, yeah. You, you could probably do that. Yeah. I mean the way I would probably handle it is I'll still manually just do those two things every five mm-hmm. plus years or I don't know how yeah. I'm trying to think of when it's weird. Cause I bought this other laptop, which, uh, I, it's still good, but my wife's laptop is really old, so she's just going to use that now. But anyway, um, MacUp, we're gonna. I'm gonna have to try it. I still never tried the Rewind AI thing. I just don't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> Not to say it. I've I've since we spoke about the AI thing, dove into that in a lot in terms of using it. Just how can I use this to I've even started using it to try to do like silly refactors, things that you probably have Vim macros for. <laughs> so I, I don't have that many. Sometimes yeah. it's quick for, I need to get better at those. I Here's a Vim rack macro we should make, by the way. We're, we're going off on tangent after tangent here, but we're going to keep going. Yeah. The Vim macro that I want, or like, I don't know if you call this a macro. I think it's macro is the right word, but like an editor macro that you have like imagine you have an html tag with a class attribute with like a zillion tailwind classes in it and it's super long and it's all in one line because that's just how it grew naturally and you want to turn this into a laravel blade class directive like at Hmm. class instead of class equals right right that and I want like a macro that can also like, I just want to hit a key and it magically turns it into an at class and then also does line length and just splits them. No conditions, just as an array on multiple lines that are only so long, you know, Oh, yeah. Yeah. beautiful. It would save me so much time. I feel like I'm doing that all the time. Let's play with it sometime. Let's hop on a call. And yeah. See. I don't, I don't know if, if I can do it, but I, it seems like the kind of thing that would be fun to play around with. Like what I, let me just, what I would love is, and maybe, maybe VS code has a way to do this that I just don't know about. Well, if it does, I'm not showing you because I'm going to teach you how to do it in NeoVim. So you come over to NeoVim. Wait, can you apply a snippet to it? Like, like they have the, the snippets, right? So you, you have like a regular, almost a regular expression where you can put placeholders in a snippet. 
or like tab values, can you apply one of those to a selection? Because that would do what I want. Oh, um, but we'll, we'll obviously explore the Vim macro. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I so yeah okay. In, I know you're I know you're talking VS Code, but in Vim, I'm using this older snippets library called Alti Snips, and I don't think you can do that. But the snippet library that I keep meaning to play with, it's called Lua Snip, mm. and um, it's really crazy what you can do. And I know you can apply snippets on top of uh, selections. I've seen mm. people do that too. Okay. Um, you can make you can make super dynamic snippets with Lua Snip, and it being Lua based, it's pretty fun to code that kind of stuff out too. Uh, I don't know, might be worth looking into. Yeah, I need to just do like Vim week, like go all in, be like, all right, I'm doing oh w- maybe two weeks Vim only. Yeah, you, you, I like how you started with with one week and you went to two. Well, you never yeah. know. Think of how good I could be at VS Code if I did a whole week in Vim only. I would just be configuring dot files half the time. <laughs> That's what it feels like. That's like I'm afraid. I don't know though. Maybe I'll install NeoVim and try it. I should put it as like a uh, like reward on the stream. Those you know what? You know what though? What you, what you just said is interesting because I think people, you know, obviously you have your loyalties to your favorite apps and stuff. But if you, you know, I think the people that make the coolest stuff for VS Code, for example, are the people that have used PHP Storm for a while and used Vim for a while and used this for a while. It's that oh, sublime text. Yeah. Like, you know, seeing the pros and cons of the different editors and IDEs and then you get you know you're in this one for a couple of years and you're like I want that because I miss it PHP storm had something like that you know mm-hmm. or whatever so well that's why and I I the reason I want to do a vim uh fortnight isn't that two weeks <laughs> yeah <laughs> is the reason I is just to retrain epic, my brain what's it? epic pun by the way uh <laughs> the the yeah, if I can get my brain to think in Vim all the time by just default, I think it would only take a week or two. Like I'm already pretty good, I feel like, at using some of the stuff, but if I could really go all in on like some of the other motions, so it's about moving around. Mm-hmm. Well, that's there's like two different. Yeah, of course. Now we've turned this into a Vim episode again. But. It happens. There's there's two different. Yeah, there's. I'm I'm slowly working on this Vim course, which you know about, and um, I can't wait. Yeah, you haven't. I haven't really gone through any of it with you. You're gonna you're gonna dog food it all on me. Yeah, I've dog food. That's a weird thing to say. Okay, I don't know. I feel I've dog. (laughs) (laughs) That that whole term dog fooding is a weird term. I know. I used I've it done in a it with weird a... context. Okay, <laughs> I just would like to. I'm laughing about it. <laughs> okay, I've I've uh, done it with. Kind of went over my first few video. Uh, I haven't recorded anything, but just my my mini outline with uh, nine people now. I think is I have listed. Mm. I have a couple more that are interested. You had mentioned it too. Um, and when I started writing the outline for this course, I'm like, what do I want to tackle? Because I think the thing I'm most interested in tackling is making uh vim like terminal vim or neo vim your ide essentially right but not just that but more like okay so there's other courses out there you don't need nobody needs my course when there's like you know 50 other vim series and we definitely need your course 
But my the thing the point that I'm getting to is that um, like Jess Archer has a really cool one where uh, on Laircasts where she just talks she shows off her workflow and her setup and the plugins that she uses and some of her config and all that. Um, and then Jeffrey Way has like you know I forget if it's called like mastering Vim or something like that, and he's talking more about learning some of the mechanics of him. And then I remember like back in the day when I first started, um, I think I mentioned this on a past episode, but I watched a whole bunch of Derek Wyatt's videos and I'd like dove into Tim Pope's dot files and June gun and some of these like Vim legends. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But when you're, when you're talking videos though, there's it, it, even just talking with you, you're talking about VS code and how you're comfortable with aspects of Vim. It's like, there's two or three different um, areas of Vim that, like cater to different people, right? There's all the motions and the navigation in a single file. So you're just moving around a file more efficiently. Yeah. But then there's the project management, like if you want to actually use Terminal Vim. And those are both like useful skill sets, but they're kind of separate things, right? True. So yeah, you're, for you example, mean like, like in project management, you mean, or... Yeah, so like getting around a project. So for example, yes. you could you you could use NeoVim for two weeks and be like, okay, I want to move back to VS Code and take some of the, what I learned over there. Well, your NeoVim has a whole plugin ecosystem, which is like one one area of Vim that's you know there's cool stuff to explore, but that stuff won't apply to VS Code. But all of the like the the more native Vim stuff, right? Talking about motions and text objects sure. and all that, where you're navigating and quickly and like efficiently editing code just in a single file. Yep. Right. Uh, that kind of stuff is like super applicable to VS code and PHP storm and all that. Right. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's the one thing I'm kind of finding like outlining this course is like, I almost got to have multiple sections. It's not that I have to cover it all, but like have like a, the beginner section just for the people that don't know anything about Vim so they can learn, you know, all the basic motions and kind of like why someone would use Vim in the first place. But then mm. also, the meat of it would be what happens when you want to like actually jump into NeoVim. Like, you know, there are people like you who have, who are like, I've been using Vim for five years as a <laughs> plugin in Sublime and whatever. That's what I did. Right. And yeah. that's how I got into it. And, and, but then jumping into NeoVim, you're like, where do I start? Like I have no file tree. I have no fuzzy finder. I have no nothing. I have no language intelligence. Like, where do I go from here? And people are intimidated by that aspect. Right. So, so when I, it's true, it's true because I would have no idea like, okay, how do I get a files sidebar or like all the VS Code stuff that I want yeah. in or, Vim? Do you need a file sidebar? No. I would just use CD commands and LSing around the terminal. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, on a more serious note, the, I mean, my approach to learning Vim over the years has been reach my hand down into the mud that is Vim grab a big handful and then throw it at the wall and whatever sticks is what I remember and use in my workflow. But it has been that when I say Vim week or Vim Fortnite, I mean, I would go all in on like setting up Neo Vim and using it IDE style for yeah. a couple of weeks. Not, okay. not like even like as a competition, but more like, okay, let's, let's try something totally different. I will get, like it would be a side effect for me to think in Vim like I'm talking about with the motions and everything else just from doing that. Right. I don't know. Maybe. 
Maybe I should open up GitHub sponsors and then uh, see. And you can be my first sponsor for Vimly. I would. I'm yeah. kidding. <laughs> if you want me to open my wallet, uh, it's I'm doing it right now. No. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So the course, though, I was also going to say. You you're right in that those are two different things, but. The original course doesn't need to have them both necessarily. They're almost two separate courses. Oh, that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe there's, yeah, oh, yeah. Course. I'm, ki- I'm, I'm kind of opting to do this like choose your own adventure thing where um, oh. like there's, there's like two sections of the course where you basically. I like that. Have, I like yeah. that idea. So the first section is like the basics of Vim and Vim motions in the second and maybe third section will be more like getting into the more advanced stuff like macros and terminal IDs and stuff like that. So setting up NeoVim as a terminal, like a full IDE workflow. It's like two totally different things. So where can I sign up? I don't have the sign up yet. Oh, well, I know. I was just putting you on the spot. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, that's, that's uh, that's uh, something that I keep putting off and procrastinating, but I have an outline. I'll show you. I'll show you. We'll drop on jump on a call later, and you can give me your feedback because I need feedback. So, so there's okay. The Vim course. I love the idea. Uh, I think it. Everyone's setup's a little different, and I would love to see how you bring that together to guide someone to like okay you're gonna want these plugins i'm i'm interested to know that's the other thing it's not you can't really make anything comprehensive because the whole yeah Yeah. ecosystem changes all the time too right so it's almost like you almost gotta show people like this is my current workflow and then if you were to watch that course or that those videos like three or four years later you might realize that oh there's this whole new plugin or tool available that everyone's using right right well then yeah. you just add on a video at that point sure if you recorded yeah. i mean it's a lot of work to do all that stuff <laughs> so don't feel bad about procrastinating hey but here's how, another idea I, sorry i have another question for you but let yeah me, go you go first okay uh with your towery stuff that you're working on mm. all right uh i don't know enough about all that uh, what are you using as your environment there is that still vs code yeah oh yeah okay mm-hmm. so well, yeah like okay. a language server set up for rust and all that i guess yeah let's talk about that i have a story i have a story about this i'm gonna we're gonna back up one second though a bit ago, a minute ago you said you want to do the vim course choose your own adventure style yeah, yeah. isn't like the statimic website that came out is that the current one that has like the choose your own adventure thing that's super cool on there yeah is the, is your course do you have a name for the course yet is no, it vim adventure does that exist <laughs> i mean well okay dude it's you funny. make it like this cool old school you know I, I i don't know that totally seems your style like old 8-bit like vim adventure but almost like gamified a little bit it's funny that you're saying this. Have you seen vimadventures.com? No. This is a thing? Yeah. Did I just describe it? <laughs> I Actually, have yeah, definitely it's, not it's, seen it's, 
it's literally in my course notes as a thing for people to check out. There's, I don't know who built it. It's been out since, I don't know, 10 years or something, but it's basically this little game. Mm. Um, and it's mainly meant just to teach people HJKL arrow movement. And you have this little guy and you're like, you start on an island or something and you're basically moving a guy around an island uh, oh. and you're not allowed to use arrow keys. You have to use HJKL. Okay, this has to go in the show notes. I'm going to check it out yeah. for sure. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, I had no idea that existed, but I'm talking about like, imagine your landing page is all uh, kind of that style. It would be kind of cool. Yeah. 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 So I got on a, yeah, I got on a call with a few people, like I said, to kind of dog food it out and try out the first section. Like, I don't have the, when I say the first section, I mean like the, the basics of him, like the motions and that sort of thing. Um, I have like seven or eight videos planned for that. Yeah. And, um, so while dog fooding that out and getting people's feedback and, you know, it's, it's interesting um, seeing the, the questions that these friends are having, you know, saying, well, what about this? Like one guy is asking more about he's, you know, well, what about like macros and motions and what the heck is a text object? And the next guy is asking, I don't care about all that. I want to know how you manage your project in Vim. Right. And that's when it, and then um, I had another friend suggest, well, why don't you do the whole sort of like choose your own adventure thing, right? I love and that. And so um, I just, I th- I kind of thought, yeah, like, you know, obviously having multiple sections of course it. being kind of different topics is one thing, but also just like starting off your intro video with saying like, okay, there's, uh, I'll, I'll give you a little teaser of the first video. The first video is there's four different types of like personalities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea is that, uh, person one would be like the reluctant Vimmer, like the one who, um, just wants to be able to edit config files on a server. doesn't care about Vim at all, but just doesn't want to get stuck in Vim when they're forced to Vim. <laughs> that was me, uh, in most of school probably. Yeah. Yep. And that's, uh, yeah, we've t- maybe talked about that on the podcast. Lost yeah. a lot of assignments to control S. And so maybe you're that person. Maybe you don't actually really care about switching to Vim or, or using Vim, but you're interested in learning a little bit more because you find yourself on a server wanting to edit a config file, right? Right. Um, and then person two is like a pl- I'm calling, quote, plug-in Vimmers. So you've got your reluctant Vimmers, and then you've got your plug-in Vimmers. And plug-in Vimmers... That's me. That's you. And that's where <laughs> I was for like, uh, I don't know, seven or eight years or something in Sublime and Adam. Oh, cute puppy. That's your new puppy. Yes, yes, that's, we didn't talk about this, but we got a puppy. Uh, never expected to have one so soon. That's a different story, but uh, her name is Kiwi, Aww. like the fruit. Kiwi, yep, good dog. She's she's a really good puppy so far. She already knows nice. how to sit. We're one yeah. week in. Nice. Is she programming in Rust too? Um, no, she tries. She tries to chew <laughs> the keyboard when I let her onto the desk a little bit, so... There's that. She just woke up from a nap, so I may have to take her out shortly here, okay. but I think we have another 10 minutes or so. Yeah. <clears throat> I forget what we were talking about. Um, you were talking... Yeah, we got distracted. Uh, you were talking about the types of Vimmers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. number oh, three. So yeah, there was, yeah, so there's yeah, reluctant Vimmers, then plug-in Vimmers. And then yes. person three and four... Uh, person three is the terminal Vimmers, so th- that's when you become hardcore enough that you're like, okay, I've used the plugin in Sublime or VS Code, and I'm actually interested in, like you said, trying trying it in the terminal for a while. 
And then uh, the fourth person is uh, like the hacker, like the the guy who wants to make Vim plugins, you know, that sort of thing. The fourth one is Tim Pope. The Tim Pope, basically, yeah. yeah. So my goal is to have like a, kind of a section, like two or three sections that sort of cater to those different types of people. Like maybe at the end of the course, there'll be like a small section on let's build a basic plugin together, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you're just the person that just wants to learn a little bit of basic Vim, just watch the first section, you know. All right, we had to get a toy for the puppy. Nice. Um, so, okay, to tell me about Towery, you're talking about. Uh, okay, yeah, I have. I even have a note to come back to that. So, Towery, where do we start here? Oh, you were asking about the VS Code setup for for Rust. Uh, the story, yes, it's all coming back. Working on the like Towery, the Laravel in Towery, you know, prototype thing. Started that thing in like February and was like, I created a monster. I think I reached out to you and told you that at that time. But yeah, yeah. I was like, I created a monster. I never really told anyone else about it. And then it's kind of an accident that I started working on on it again recently. We can maybe talk about that another time. But it, I'm working on this thing and I have basically zero Rust knowledge, right? I'm like, okay, I can, uh, I, kind of tell what some of this is doing but i also like i knew what a match expression was a little bit kind of got the idea but it's not uh, rust is different right rust is different the main difference that people aren't used to is that everything is immutable by default Mm. like just a variable is immutable by default Mm. so you have to opt into the mutability Uh, i I understand why they chose it for memory safety and all this stuff but so I, i have zero rust knowledge and i'm like trying to get live reload working in this like hack together Frankenstein Laravel running in a Tauri app thing that I'm going working on. Right. Mm-hmm. And to do that uh, in a debug build, it like puts your stuff into a certain folder. And I was like, well, what if I just replace that copy of all the Laravel files that it makes for the debug build? And what, what cause you have to bundle your Laravel app right now. It bundles it with the like, the desktop app thing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, people probably lost people. They're like, what is he talking about? But <laughs> de- desktop apps with Laravel, I think it can work with Towery in a really cool way. Um, but I, the way that I got Live Reload working was to replace the copied version of the Laravel app files with just sim links every time the dev build starts. And right. I'm like, this will work great for development. Like, why wouldn't I just do that? The weirdest, the weirdest thing started happening, um, and it was related to Rust Analyzer doing some, I don't know, it was related to me not understanding Rust, really. <laughs> Rust has a, like a build script that you can configure, build.rs, mm-hmm. and I don't understand enough about the build scripts yet to under, even understand what exactly what was happening to me, but I was doing the sim links in the build scripts, and turns out that's a bad place to do them. So when I tried to like, iterate on that code at one point i like commented out the first chunk of it in the build script file and as soon as i saved that file the rust analyzer extension in vs code was taking every single uh file in the laravel app and emptying it so i'd save one rust file that's fantastic this is crazy like i was like what how is this happening 
I like just to replay this back in a simpler way for for you and the listener out there. I saved, I commented out like five lines in a Rust file, saved that file only, just command S. Suddenly, like 64 files would be changed in the Git repo. And I go look at the files, like, why is it changing all these files? They're just empty. They didn't delete the files. They were still there. It just blanked them out. Nice. How does that happen? I have no idea. But I narrowed it down to Rust Analyzer running some stuff and then... I still never really figured it out. But point is, I shouldn't have been doing that stuff in the build script. So the sim links and everything got a little wonky and it, yeah. Well, uh, two, two things on that. <laughs> One is, um, the first thing I'll say is, I think that's the point of Rust is that um, even Rust devs don't know what, what the heck is going on. Class, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> no uh, second thing is, is maybe some of our, maybe some of our Rust friends can chime in. Yeah, no, I'd love to know what was actually happening to me there. And I have the code still. I could pair with someone if they want to or whatnot. But the, I will say, since then, I kind of went dark on the whole Towery Laravel project for a few days. And I have been reading the Rust book. And it's really good. Yeah, I started and I didn't get very far. It's, but, um, it, it gets it dense pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. But in a good way. Yeah, like... I think I'm only five chapters in now or something and it, but it cleared up so much for me. Like I, I definitely feel that I can like accomplish stuff, but before I'm kind of hacking it together, asking questions to chat GPT, like, what does this mean? And, you know, it was an interesting way to learn it, but just read the book people. If you're trying to learn rest, it's good. The book's quite good. Did you hear, uh, I believe it's, uh, is it Ryan Chandler? He's creating a course called Rust for PHP Devs or something? Yeah, I believe I retweeted it. He commented on my Towery thing. Nice. nice. Hey, Ryan. I don't I don't know if you listen hey. to this, but um, yeah. That intrigues me though, right? Because with, you know, I, you know, I know a handful of languages as well, but PHP is probably what I'm most fluent in. So it'd be interesting to see how he approaches that, right? Teaching people like me or you. Yeah. Uh, you know, the differences that you're talking about immutability and I know a little bit about the borrow checker and you're talking about ownership and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah. you know, but these these high level concepts that really confuse the loosely typed PHP devs, right? <laughs> well, right. I'm used to all this, yeah, looseness. Uh, yeah, and yeah. We, just got, we just got types recently in PHP, right? Wasn't it yeah. PHP 8 or something? Yeah. Um, it's, get, it's getting pretty good, yeah, if you like oh, that. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, the... I'm liking the the modern PHP world even more, but the, so Ryan, what's his course is specifically Rust for PHP people. Right. Which I think is an interesting play. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Rust, Rust is cool. Ben learned some of that. The VS code setup for it's really easy. I mean, I, it's easy to jump into really easy to jump into. Uh, It's harder to jump into like the syntax and the concepts, but it makes sense. I understand. It's it's much more memory safe. And the reason they've chosen to do some of that stuff with the language is basically because it makes it way harder to write memory unsafe code or impossible in some cases, just the way that mm. the, yeah, the compiler and the whole language is built. So I don't know. That's all I know. Not very yeah. much. Well, it's, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, it's been cool seeing all of your little teasers and your, uh, 
your journey with that. I, I'm I'm kind of on the outside. I don't really understand anything about well, rest, but it's pretty it's pretty wild. Some of the stuff that you're doing. Yeah, I think for the record, I think it's wild too. It's still a bit of a Frankenstein. I do want to. I think it's pretty possible though. I got the database working. Uh, mm. I need to work on the queue. Maybe. I I think. There's there's some things that I want to kind of clean up about how it works. I think that it most certainly has security holes right now. Uh, it's really no more than a proof of concept so far. But it's like the idea of just building desktop apps with Livewire with no friction, the same components I'm used to, everything. Love mm. that. And I want yeah. it to be a reality, and I think it can be. That's cool. And obviously... Native PHP and that share similarities. Right. Like I, yeah. I Although like native PHP is trying to do the, it seems to me, right. I, I, I have very little experience with it. Um, but I, I have kicked the tires a little bit and it seems like they want to put all of the bindings into Laravel, which I love the idea, right? Oh, now you don't need to go learn Node.js or whatever. Mm. It, Cause for, Electron, it's Node, right? Uh, and I think they're working on a Tau driver. I'm not sure where that's at. It, it's there. There is a lot to actually dive into on this Tau topic. We could fill up a whole other podcast with some of the things that I've learned over the past week or two. There's mm-hmm. some interesting possibilities with using Tau and Rust specifically that I think that Electron doesn't have. Um, like you can reach down into the OS with Node. JS into the operating system layer if you need like the file system or other desktop level stuff like desktop notifications and and there's some areas where they use like the web browser to bridge that gap too and I'm sure Tauri does it well Tauri does somewhat of the same thing but like to be able to reach down to a compiled language Rust at the operating system level, whenever you need to, and just invoke Rust functions from the Laravel app, mm-hmm. incredible power in that. Like you, because in, for example, if I needed to talk to, like do something in Coco, the Mac OS like UI stuff, mm-hmm. that's just like the, the Mac OS operating system has. I guess the graph, is it like the rendering layer? I don't know what to call this, but cocoa, kind of like cocoa powder or chocolate, <laughs> you know, it's it's like their UI layer. So if you need to like mess with something on a window, like a, in a Mac OS app, you often are, do, sometimes you got to reach down into cocoa to do that if you want to make it right. transparent or, I can't remember the exact thing I needed to do this for, but when I was using Tower with Svelte, I figured out, oh, I can just pull in this Rust cocoa crate and reach down into it. Right. And so the the Laravel thing is just another layer on that, right? It's just a different front end is the idea. Mm-hmm. It's just harder to run PHP uh, than it is a static JavaScript file or right. static HTML and JavaScript. So, yeah, no, there's a lot of hurdles there. Um, I'm excited about it, though. It's a fun project. I'm going to cool. open source it at some point. Cool. Well, maybe we do a part two on that because uh, I know your journey is going to evolve there. Yeah. Yeah. And I see you've, you've been tweeting it out. We can, maybe we can link one of your tweets in the show notes too. Cool. Just showing people the screenshots and stuff. It's pretty, pretty neat stuff. Well, we, we never got into keyboards, man. Yeah. Let's do that on the next one. Okay. All right. Yeah.
I've, I'm just upset because I wanted to ask about it earlier. And there was like this point where I was like, okay, I'm going to ask about that next. And I forgot. Cause we no, got into good. some other tangent. Who knows? No, we, we have topics to talk about. That's good. It's better <laughs> than not having anything to talk about. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you to all of you. And we'll catch you on the next one. Sounds good. See ya.